Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. Are you excited to be here this morning? Yeah. Me too. Me too. Well, how has your week been? Good. Better than mine, I think, then. Oh, this week has been a challenging week for me. I normally don't say that, but, you know, every once in a while you find yourself in the weeds. You know what I mean by that? Where you, do you know the expression where it's like you can't see the forest from the trees? So you, do you know that expression? You are so deep in the forest that all you see is tree, tree, tree. You see individual trees. But you're not outside of it where you can look down and see from the mountaintop. You can see the vast forest below. You can't see the forest because you're in the middle of it and all you can see are trees. Well, it's tax time. And I am doing my taxes, and it is like being stuck in the forest, in the forest where I cannot see it. All I can see are trees. Yes. My prayer is God deliver me from accounting. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know that's not everybody's prayer, but <laughs> that happens to be mine sometimes. Praise God. So it's been a challenging week for me this week. But I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We are almost there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm sure it's not a train. Well, I sure hope so. No, it's not a train. Not a train. Okay. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 54. Praise God. Isaiah 54. And we are going to look at verse 13. That's right, just one verse for now. For now. It's a good, it's a good launching, yeah, launch pad, exactly. Jumping off point. I'm trying to remember who used to say that, jumping off point. Anyhow, Isaiah 54 and verse 13 is up on your screen there in case you didn't bring your Bible with you to church. And <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing, it's okay. And all your children shall be, now I'm reading from the Amplified Classic, and what does it say there? Disciples. I believe it's the King James that says, taught of the Lord. Is that correct? Yes. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, taught of the Lord, shall be disciples, and great shall be the peace and undisturbed composure of your children. Hallelujah. So, uh, undisturbed composure, yeah. Peace, and if I understand it correctly, that word in Hebrew is shalom. And the root of that word shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. You're not without in any way. It means completeness, wholeness, right? And great shall be the completeness and wholeness of your children. See, it's a great promise to stand on, isn't it? Hallelujah. So for any parent... You can claim this and say, My children shall be taught of the Lord, and their peace shall be great. 
Amen? That's right. It's good, good promise. Now, this verse, I particularly like this verse, particularly because the Amplified says it in such a way where it says disciples. So I'd like to talk to you this morning about discipleship. And everyone said, yes, amen. Yes. I think sometimes it's the word discipline that scares us with that, right? So that is the definition of the word. Disciple, it means to be a disciplined follower. It means to be a disciplined follower. You know what it doesn't mean? Just a learner. A learner. Now, learning is good, but disciple means more than learning. So when, when Jesus, or when the Father is saying, and your children shall be taught of the Lord, he's not referring to just sitting in a class and learning something. He's talking about becoming a disciplined follower. Amen. Discipleship. Disciplined follower. I have some notes. Just some. Just a few. Hallelujah. I'm going to make a few statements about discipleship here. Discipleship is more than just teaching. It's imparting. Discipleship is more than just teaching. It's imparting. You know, there are things like with your own children where you realize that it's more than just them learning lessons in life. You don't want them just to learn the lesson, write the exam, pass the test, and go on with how they are. Right? I'll say it another way. You don't want your kids just to come up and give you just the right answer all the time. You want them actually to live the way that you've been teaching them. Right? You don't want them just to give you the right answer because they know it, but then not live the way that you've been teaching them. So you want them to get it. You know what I mean by that? You want them to get it. What is that it? You want to impart to them what's on the inside of you so that they can have what it is that you have. And that's more than just learning. That's living. Hallelujah. So discipleship is more than living, uh, sorry, than learning. It's knowing by doing. It's the knowing that you get by doing it. So, this is very important. Wouldn't you agree? I think you would really agree that if you're going to the doctor or you're going to the hospital and they're going to do some surgery on you, that you would want the doctor to more than just have read it in a book. <laughs> right? You go to the doctor and you say, hey, I, I need this appendix out. And he says, yeah, absolutely, no problem. I read about that in medical school. That's not very comforting, is it? That doesn't instill confidence. You're like, uh, I think I'll get a second opinion. Why? Because just learning about it does not mean, does not convince you that they know actually what they're doing. But if the doctor were to say to you, no worries, I've done this a hundred times then you go, oh, okay, 
this guy knows what he's doing. This girl knows what he's doing. So, okay, operate on me then. You, you have confidence in their ability because they've done it 100 times. And you're assuming 100% success rate as well, right? I mean, that goes without saying. But you have confidence then because they, they have some experience. And it's, you know, it's a typical thing. I mean, just normal everyday life. You want to hire a professional. Sometimes you're a little leery about, I don't know if I want to hire this person. They just came straight out of school. This is their first job, and they're going to try this out on my house. You're, you know, you're kind of, I don't know about that. Right? You want someone with a little bit of experience. Have you dealt with this situation before? And they say, oh, yeah, I've dealt with that many times. And you're, okay, you know what you're doing. So there's a knowing that comes by doing that is a greater knowing than just having learnt something. Right? So when the Bible says you'll be taught of the Lord, he's not talking just about you learning it in a class and then carrying on with your life the way it was before you came to that class. But he's talking about you learning it and then doing it. Amen? So that as you do put into practice the things that he has said to you, you come to know it by experience. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So there's this, uh, I heard someone say this once. I thought it was pretty funny. They were talking about uh, a verse in, well, I think it's in Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find faith in the earth? Right? Will he find faith? And it's a question. He, it's a legitimate question. Jesus asks this, right? And so, you know, I've heard one minister say, well, I don't know if he'll find faith in the earth. I know he'll find a lot of books and tapes about faith, but actual faith, well, and he was just making a point that we have plenty of resources to teach all about the ins and outs of faith, how to have faith, what is faith, how to have faith, how to get more faith, how to exercise your faith. And over and over, we could spend hours talking about all the different things about faith. And that's wonderful and great. But at the end of the day, do you have any? That's right. And how do we know if you do? Because you exercise it. You live in it. You walk in it. You do it. That's how we know you have some. Right? Amen. Praise God. You know, we know this is true also because you'll know this, and people are in different places, so there are some people in places that when they get into a real problem, they know who they're going to call to pray them out of that problem. Right? Oh, I'm in a real mess now. Better call the pastor. Why? Why? Because you have confidence in the pastor is going to pray you out. The pastor has faith. The pastor will pray, God will hear, and I'll get an answer, and then I'll get out. Because right now, I can't see the forest from the trees. All I can see is accounting, accounting, accounting. I just numbers, and how come this number is this, and then I can't see my way out. I need to call Pastor Neil. And Pastor Neil, who's an accountant, can get me out of this mess, right? So in the same way, there are some believers that are in that place because they've learned enough to know what to do, but they haven't done enough to do it for themselves. Oh, that's so 
right? Can you say it again? Nope. <laughs> you'll, <laughs> you'll have, there you go. What's that? <laughs> That's right. So, discipleship is more than just teaching you something new. There's a component about discipleship that has to do with doing. So, we get this term today, and we do, like, in modern church times, what many in modern church times do, we have discipleship class, right? Which is what I've been doing for the last six years. Discipleship class. And the idea behind that is that you come to class and you learn what it means to be a Christian and get taught a few things, and, and that's kind of like your introduction into Christianity, and this is what Christians do, and you learn a few things, and then you go on your way. Discipleship comes from a practice that's much older than our modern church practices today. And it had to do with, we're going to use particularly discipleship as it is in the Bible, but in the times when Jesus walked on the earth, discipleship was a little bit, we didn't, I don't, they used, they didn't use the term discipleship the way that we do, they used the term disciple. But what it meant is that you had someone who was a teacher, a rabbi. So the rabbi would have studied the Torah and the prophets for many years and had lived a certain way and came to a specific understanding. And there were different schools of understanding and interpretation of what the Torah meant and how to live it and how to apply it to your life every day. So you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had others as well. But those were the two main groups in Jesus' day. And they were different. They were different because the Sadducees didn't believe in angels or spirits or anything like that. And I don't know how they thought like that, but they seemed to. And the Pharisees did. And so they were in opposition to one another because they, they, they understood the Torah a certain way and they, in different ways. And so you could belong to either school as you were being taught and raised in, the, in religious school. And so you could belong to a different group. But at some point, uh, there were those that were pupils that were looking then to move further in their studies to where it was just not the compulsory you go to, you go to school, which was the way that they learned the, the, the Bible. And, and more than just that, but they wanted to go further on. And so they would be presenting themselves and waiting for a rabbi to come along. And the rabbi would come along one day, and he'd see the students in class, and he would pick one out and say, come, follow me. And the reason he would say that is because he's now selecting one out of the group of learners to come be a disciple. And what that disciple would do is they would, you know the expression, learning at the feet of. That's what a disciple would do. They would learn at the feet of. And so they would come, like Paul said, I learned at the feet of Gamaliel. And that meant I was his disciple. So it's not just being in a classroom and being taught what Gamaliel believes, understands. It's 
living alongside Gamaliel. That's what Paul was doing. So a disciple would live alongside his teacher. He would go wherever his teacher went. Because he would observe not just, he would observe how the teacher lived what it is that he taught. You teach this and this is how you live. And so he would fall, he would live in the, the same house as the master. The master would get up and go here. They would do life together. Day in, day out, they would do life together. So that it's not merely a matter of the disciple learning and understanding what his teacher understands. But the disciple would receive an impartation. He'd receive something that's beyond just mere knowledge. He'd observe the life, the way of life of the rabbi, of the teacher. And in observing and in participating alongside with, would begin to experience and do the same things that the teacher is doing. I know some of you can hear Bible verses as I begin to tell you this. He who believes in me, the works shall I do. Not only these works, but greater works shall you do. Right. And other verses of, that are such that way. And so the disciple would learn the ways of the master, which is far greater than simply being in a class and being taught the same understanding that the master has. In our modern churches today, we tend to lack disciples. And the reason is is because well, there's many reasons. Because we're, we like to learn. We like to find out the four keys to a successful marriage or the four biblical steps to prosperity or however many biblical steps you want to make of it. Because it makes our lives better. But in that way, we live alone. I'm going to say that again. If that's all that church is to you, then you live alone. Because we are meant to be together. Learning together. Living together. So church is not just an assembly once a week. It's living side by side with one another. Hallelujah. You say amen to that? Praise the Lord. Jesus is the master. You see, before he came, men had ideas. The Jewish people had an idea about God. So they could read the law of Moses, they could read the prophets, and they had many teachers that understood those words and what they meant. And so they could be taught about God. 
Hallelujah. But were they taught by God? They were taught about Him, but were they taught by Him? So in only being taught about Him, they really didn't know Him. And then Jesus came. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus lived a life that shows us who the Father is. He is the will of God revealed to us. Hallelujah. He is God's intention and heart revealed to mankind. He said, I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. Why did he say that? He was being taught of the Lord. Hallelujah. Whatever the Father does, I also do. Jesus, the Son, discipled by the Father. And he showed us who the Father is. He showed us who God is. Interestingly enough, Jesus did not select disciples out of the, uh, the best religious schools of his day. So if you want to put Mark chapter 1, verse 17, I think it was 17, right? Up on the screen for me. He did not select the brightest pupils from a classroom. Yeah, he didn't pick the straight A students. That's right. <laughs> he didn't stand in front of the class and say, okay, I'm going to select a few of you to be my students. You've all been trained in the Torah, so, you know, he didn't look for a recommendation from the headmaster there at the school, of which is the brightest students that can then now come follow him and join his ministry. I'm saying a lot more than perhaps, you know. Yeah. That's not what he was looking for. Where did he go? <laughs> yeah. He went down to the docks. Have you been down to the docks? <laughs> I know Pastor Neil used to work at the docks there. There are some pretty rough individuals that work down at the docks. I know, I know that's a generalization, so not all of them are such. But the docks typically have a reputation of producing a particular kind of person. Perhaps some that wanted to be sailors but didn't quite make the cut. So they talk like sailors, act like sailors, but they're on the land. Maybe a little bitter about it, I don't know. Dock workers, and if you're a dock worker, I apologize. I know of one right now, and he would probably be upset with me, but anyhow, I'm just joking. But dock workers have, you know, they have a particular reputation. So where did Jesus go to find his disciples? You have to remember who Jesus is. Here he is showing all of Judea, all of Samaria, all of the Israeli nation who the Father is. Now he's going to 
pick some people that are going to carry this on, that are going to assist him in his ministry and going to carry this on further after he leaves. So we would tend to think, well, we need to go to the best religious schools, those that have been trained a certain way, to, to you know, those that have their PhD in this and that, their doctorate in theology and so on and so forth, because those guys will know. That's not where Jesus went. He went to the docks to find the roughest, baddest dudes he could find. You know why he nicknamed James and what he nicknamed James and John, the Sons of Thunder, because they were brawlers. They'd sooner punch you in the face than try to work it out. They were working it out with their fists, exactly. Right? Yeah. There you go. These are the ones that he chose. Praise God. So in no way are you disqualified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're not disqualified. So he picked those guys. And what did he say? Come, follow after me. Come after me and be my disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. Come after me. Come follow me, Jesus said to them. What's he saying to them? Just come hang out where I am. Just come do what I'm doing. Yes, for the purpose of becoming like him. Oh, praise God. There is really only one requirement for you to become a disciple of Jesus. Do you know what it is? Just say yes. Because the truth is, is that his call has gone out and is going out. He's calling people from all walks of life. He's not just looking for the religiously trained. He's looking for anyone who will say yes. Anyone that is willing to drop their nets immediately and come follow him. That's what he's looking for. Anyone that is willing to leave behind your own stuff so that you can now come and walk side by side with him. Not just learning what he said and learning to repeat his sermons, but learning to live the way that he lives. Now, here's the thing about discipleship. He goes on ahead of you, and you follow him. He goes on ahead, and you follow behind. So anywhere that he's leading you is somewhere that he has already been. Anywhere he's leading you is somewhere where he himself has already been. So he knows the way, which is why he can tell you, you know the way. If you know him. His call to us as to be disciples did not stop when you made Jesus Lord of your life. When he said to these guys here, come follow me, and they jumped out of their boats, it wasn't just for one day. And then they said, yeah, hey, that was a great day. Thanks a lot. We'll see you around. Back to the boats they went. 
Now, they thought so after Jesus had died and resurrected from the grave, and then they couldn't see him anymore. So Peter said, I'm going back to fishing. But that was not the end, was it? As Jesus met them there and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. So there was a whole lot more for him yet to do. In the same way for you and I, just getting saved and coming to church is not discipleship. It is not the end of the road. In fact, it's the beginning of the road. Mile zero, absolutely. It's the beginning. Because our lives as Christians are meant to be following the master, living with him day in, day out. Everywhere we go, we are following him. And in following him, we find ourselves becoming more and more like him every day. So that those who see us begin to see Jesus in us. Because we are following him. That's why Paul would say something like, follow me as I follow Christ. You see how I'm living? You see how this is an example of Christ. Follow it. In the same way, our lives should be changing to be more and more like our master. It's not discipleship just coming to a class. It's discipleship by walking with Jesus every day of your life. In walking with him every day, you find that he begins to transform you. Look at this. I will make you to become fishers of men. He's the one who's doing that. They knew how to fish in the world. They knew nothing about fishing for men. But Jesus knows, and he knows how to cause them to become fishers of men. In fact, they were his first catch. Amen? They were his first catch. Come, follow me. And they jumped out of the boat. Catch number one. And he's been catching men ever since. Amen. Has he caught you? Yes. Is that a present reality today? Yes. Is that a present reality in your heart today? That you're just as much his as the first day he called your name. Hallelujah. Praise God. So every day we have an opportunity to follow the Lord in our day. Now, following the Lord doesn't mean just putting into practice the things that we know. It, it does. How do I convey this? You and I here have the things that Jesus said, right? We have a record of it. So we can teach and learn and come to understand what it is that he's saying. And there's a place where we do our best to put into practice the things that we learn from his word. Yes? Yeah. And that is the same as us sitting in the classroom where Jesus is teaching, sitting on the mountainside with him, and he's teaching from the mountainside, and we go, wow, that's amazing. But that shouldn't be it. In the same way, for you and I, that shouldn't be it. You know, he's, he's there with you in the morning when you get up, whether you feel like it or not. He's there with you when you're getting ready for work, going to work, when whatever thing that you... He's, he's the same. He's there. He's, he's there when... I, I haven't felt his presence while doing my taxes. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that he is there. 
Maybe present, but not in manifestation at that point in time. I'm not feeling the anointing while I'm doing that. Anyhow. The fact is, is that he's there the whole time. He's always there. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you to the ends of the earth. How can he do that? He's not physically here. He's not physically in your room with you. He's not physically there at the job site with you. He's, he's in here. He sent the mighty Holy Spirit to come and live on the ins, to live on the inside of us. Praise God. Yeah, he's, he's there to live in you. You're not to live your Christian life on your own. You're to follow him in it. And he's there and present every day. That's one of his names. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Referring to the temple of the Lord. There he is. He's right there. And you and I are that temple. And here he is living in us. He's always present with us. Now if you believe that, you're going to live like that. Every day. I don't need to feel it. I just need to believe that. And if I believe he's here, he's leading, he's directing, he's guiding, he's helping. I am following him, not dragging him behind me as I go. But I can trust that he's leading. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He'll direct your steps when you acknowledge him. It's the easiest thing to do. There's a book that I read a long time ago, Changed My Life. And it was written by a monk from like, what is it, the 1600s or something like that, 1700s? Brother Lawrence. And the little booklet's called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a great little book. And when you read it, at first you're like, there's no great step number one. Here's the biblical doctrine concerning this and teaching and this and that. You'll find these verses. This is what it means. It's not like that. It's, a, it's letters that he wrote to other people. It's letters that he wrote because other people in the same monastery began to see a quality about him that went well beyond their own devotion. They're in a monastery. Went well beyond their own understanding. That's what they do all day long, steady. Went beyond their religious practice. That's what they're there to do in the monastery. It went beyond that. Because that quality was the quality of Jesus' own life. In that sense, there is none like him. Because there's only one Jesus. But that one Jesus can live in all of us and find expression through us individually. And so they began to recognize this quality about Brother Lawrence. There's something about you. You just have this light on your face and joy in your heart. And there's peace. And, and those are usually the indications that people see first and then they see things like the love and the compassion that you have and then they see the patience and the humility and then they begin to see these characteristics that are the characteristics of our master that you can only 
grow in when you follow him. And so what Brother Lawrence would do, he said at first that he found it very difficult because he, he thought, I have no particular skill. He came to the monastery to run away from the life that he had been living. He had recognized that, you know, basically he came to the monastery because he felt so guilty and terrible as a soldier and all the terrible things that he had done that he, he wanted redemption. And his understanding in that day was, well, I'm going to devote my life to following God. And he found out a whole lot more about the saving grace of our Lord. But in going to the monastery, he thought, Lord, I've got nothing to offer you. I'm, not, I'm no speaker. I'm, no, you know, I'm not really good at anything. He said, but I, I, have, I can do this. I can offer you my attention. That's it. I can offer you my attention. That's what I can do for you, Lord. And so that's what he did. Every day, Lord, good morning. I'm going throughout my day, and I've been thinking about, he, he would, one of his main chores was washing the dishes in the monastery. So he'd be there for hours washing the dishes, and he would direct his thoughts to the Lord. He'd find himself thinking about this or what someone said or this other situation. And he'd go, oh, and turn his thought towards the Lord. Lord, you are wonderful. Lord, you're so good. Thank you. Turn his thought thinking towards God. Not trying to do something. Not trying to resolve the issues at hand. Simply turning his attention to the Lord he began to say, I found something happening to me. The more I thought about the Lord, the more he captivated my attention, I started to think differently. I started to feel differently, and the desires within me began to change. I began to see other people around me from a, a different perspective. What he began to experience was what the disciples of Jesus experience when they follow their master. When you're following the master, you're looking to him. You're observing him. You're looking at what he's doing, what he's saying. And he has your attention. And more than what you could just be taught... There's something that you have caught. And that is that quality that only the Lord himself can impart to you by his spirit. And as he does, you change. You become like him. And so that's what Brother Lawrence was experiencing. I read through his book I don't know how many times, and there's no great revelation in there. There's nothing you read and go, ooh, that's good. There's no great revelation in there. But you know what I did find? The imprint of the master's hand in his life. That's what I did see. I could see Jesus in those pages. I could hear him as he talked. I could recognize that is the spirit of Christ in that man. 
And there have been many others that have gone before us in whose lives you can recognize the same spirit of Jesus Christ because there's something different about them. They've been following the master. They've been giving him their attention. And as they look to him and see him, they are transformed to be more and more like him. And you begin to recognize these qualities. I, I would read biographies of different men and women of God for that reason. I'd be on a search. Where is that? Where's that quality? And what I'm looking for, I'm looking for the Lord. I'm looking for the reality of his presence. And I'm thinking, if they can have it, I can have it. Because God is no respecter of persons. He's not showing up big in their life because they're somebody great. These guys were fishermen, dock workers. But they heard Jesus calling, and they responded, and they followed him, and not just for a day. Those same disciples are the ones, Paul being one of them, not exactly that disciple, but later on he saw the Lord. He followed him. And later on the report was by those that were in opposition to Christianity, said, oh no, here they are, these men that have turned the world upside down. And when these disciples were standing before the religious leaders not too many days after Jesus had been raised from the dead, they took note. I mean, there's Peter standing up. So let's back up a moment. Before the cross, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to go to the cross, and he says, all of you are going to scatter. Peter says, no, not me. I know we, we kind of bug him above that, but you know what? He, he meant what he said. He meant what he said. No, I'm not. I'm going to follow you. I'm not leaving you. And yet, it happened just as Jesus said. And so, those same ones, I mean, afterwards, they were hiding together, afraid of the Jewish people, the Jewish rulers in particular, because they thought, well, if they crucified Jesus, they might come after us next and get rid of us. Our lives are in danger. You know, we had this leader, and while he was here on the earth, there was some protection because we had the favor of the people with us. Now he's dead and gone. Now what? Our lives could be in trouble here. We left everything to follow him, and now our future is uncertain, and they were huddled together afraid. And then Jesus shows up in the room, and things begin to change. Those same people, those same disciples, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, we're in the upper room for 120 day, for well, 120 of them for a number of days, about 50 days or so, until Pentecost came. And they were filled with the Spirit of God and with power, and they spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. Something happened to them. Yes. Something changed them. That something is a someone. And so they went from being, in a sense, afraid of the Jewish leaders, cowardly, if you will, to being able to stand up in front of them when those same Jewish, the same Jewish leaders 
pulled them in before them after they had healed the man, well, God did through them, healed the, the, uh, the beggar, the crippled beggar at the gate beautiful, and pulled them in and said, why are you doing this? Why are you keep preaching Jesus, trying to make us guilty of that man's blood? Why do you keep doing that? And we're attacking, accusing. And they stood up boldly and began to say, it's better for us to obey God than you. What had changed? The circumstances didn't change. The religious leaders didn't change. Really, nothing had changed except they changed. And as Peter had his best efforts in trying to follow the Lord as best as he could, he could not do it on his own, and it was never the Lord's intention for him to do it on his own. So he sent the Holy Ghost so that he would be with you and in you wherever you go. And not by yourself, but by his strength and his ability. And they became different people because of the work of the Spirit of God in them to make them like their master. So although the circumstances did not change, they did. And they were more like their master afterwards. Hallelujah. What I want to share with you is, I've been sharing with you, but it's a little bit more than just preaching a sermon this morning. I hope that you can hear that. I have seen him, not in a vision, but I've seen him in here. And the more I see him, the more I want to see him. I don't want my day obscured by the challenges of life around me, the busyness of schedules. I want to see him more. And the more I see him, the more I begin to realize he lives in me. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us 